Isn't that awesome? What an exciting morning so far. Hopefully this doesn't make it less so. <laughs> like, I'll get baptized again if that's... No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, welcome here, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, I'm Tim, if we haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, if you're one of Jarrett's friends who came or family who supported him today in his baptism, thanks for coming. It's awesome that you are here for this, this occasion in his life. So uh, I'm going to be bringing us God's word today. Um, and I want to say it's, it's so exciting when we see somebody get baptized because it's the beginning of their faith journey, right? It's right for us to celebrate these things, this, this new life. We celebrate it. It's awesome. It's amazing. They start the race of faith. We've been doing a series lately in the book of Hebrews, and uh, there's a main theme in the book of Hebrews. There's a main question that it intends to answer, and it, and it isn't so much how to come to faith, how to, how to begin our journey of faith, as much as it's concerned with how to continue our journey of faith. We celebrate the beginnings, that's great, but the book of Hebrews' primary concern is how do you keep going when things get hard? How do you keep going when you're facing pressures and pain and, and persecution? The writer of Hebrews' goal is to get people to the end well, not just to begin well, but to the end. Faith is the beginning of our journey. Faith is the continuing of our journey. The author of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 14, says, we've all come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. We see there's a beginning and there's an end. Confidence, faith in Christ and what he's done. So this morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it. For some of you, it'll be a passage that you're familiar with. Uh, I found recently that it just keeps coming up in things that I'm watching or, or listening to, so I'm trusting that God's going to have something to say to us this morning through his word that will encourage us. And we're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, through the lens of what does it tell us about how to continue in the faith when things get difficult and challenging. I'm going to suggest that it teaches us four things. I'll tell them to you up front. If you're a note taker, uh, feel free to write them down. We'll go through each of these. First thing is embrace your race. Second thing that we're going to see is ditch the robe. That's metaphorical. Third is heed the witnesses, and fourth is going to be look to Jesus, okay? That's where we're going to be going, those four things. Please bow and pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for the encouragements that are within it. Thank you that we get to know you better through it. And I pray that this morning, Holy Spirit, as it's communicated, that your spirit would take uh, your words and you'd implant them on people's hearts. I, I preach with expectancy that you want to teach us something today. You want to change us. You want to mold us and shape us. And if there's any brother or sister here today who's feeling really discouraged, I pray that they would leave here today different than they came. For the glory of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we got this. Embrace your race. That's the first way to continue in the faith. Hebrews 12, verse 1. 
says this, and you're going to hear this over and over and over. You'll hear the passage four times this morning because I hope that it gets ingrained in your mind. Here's Hebrews 12.1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set before us. So here's the first thing that we need to ask ourselves. What kind of race is it that we're all running? Is it a sprint or is it a marathon? Because the writer of Hebrews says, run with endurance. So I would suggest the race of faith that we're all running in is a long game. It's not just a sprint. It's an endurance race, it's a marathon or an ultra marathon. And what we know about running that kind of a race is that there can be challenges along the way. It's it's not easy. And in fact, it's through facing difficulties and challenges that we build endurance. We build endurance over time by facing hard things. So run with endurance, this, this challenging race that's before us. Then it says the race that is set Before us, we're to run the race that's set before us. Let me suggest, or this this verb tense, the race that is set before us is in the passive tense, which means it's something that that is set before us. It's not our choice. So I'd suggest that that what it's telling us, this is in a divine passive verb tense, which means God is the race master. This race that we have set before us. Each of us, God has put there. He's designed it specifically for us. He designs the race that we will run. So here's a question. Does he design the same race for everybody? Is everybody running the exact same race? I see somebody shaking their heads, saying no. And, and, and I would agree with you, Dave. The obvious answer, I would say, is no. All of our lives look different. God designs different races for different people. This is what we see in Hebrews 11, the chapter that uh, Jamie preached from last week, the famous faith passage where he told us about the faith of Abraham and how he uh, he ran his race well and was commended for it at the end. Here's from later on in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 32. It says this, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and of Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Oh, that's awesome, isn't it? Enforced justice, ordained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Okay, that's probably one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament from the book of Daniel, right? Daniel wouldn't bow down, so they throw him in the lion's den, and they expected him to get eaten by the lions, but in the morning, Daniel's still alive, and he's like petting the lions, right? So Daniel could say, look, my God is more powerful. Look, he protected me. That's what it's referring to there when it's talking about stopping the mouths of lions. Verse 34, it says, or quench the power of fire. You know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, who got thrown into the fiery furnace and they came out in the morning unscathed? That's miraculous. We we celebrate that. Both those stories are are popular kids' ministry stories 
right? The amazing stories of faith, of what God did, stopping mouths of lions, quenching the power of fire. Then it goes on, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Yes, women received back their dead by resurrection. Whew. This is all really neat stuff, right? Really good stuff that came as a result of faith. It's great when we put our faith in Jesus and we get to see the outcome of it in our lives, no? Then it goes on and it says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Think of Stephen, the first Christian martyr who kept proclaiming the good news of Jesus to people as they chucked stones at him to kill him. They were sawn in two. Ouch. And it wasn't like a magic trick like like we see. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Some experienced victory right away, and others, as we just learned, had to wait for it. They had to wait for it. They didn't get it in this life. So you see, the same, they had the same faithfulness, but a different outcome. Why? Well, I'd suggest God marks out different races for different people. Your race isn't the same as his race or her race or my race or their race. God, the race master, designs different races for different people. Now, here's a big danger for us, is that we want to compare our race with the person next to us, no? (laughs) We say, God, I've been running uphill for so long, and Susie over there seems to be on a downhill stretch. That's not fair. Why would you do that? Or I'm in the fight of my life. And all these people are praying for me. And healing has not yet come. But you healed that person. Why, God? We're all tempted to compare our lives with others, especially when things get tough. Especially when things get tough. I love it when scripture gives us uh, examples of of characters that we can identify with who struggle with the same things that we struggle with. In John uh, chapter 21, there's this amazing passage where Jesus is talking with Peter. Uh, It's after Christ's resurrection. Sorry, I'm having a hard time flipping to John here. Oh, I even had this thing in it. Oh, boy. Okay. So it's after Jesus' resurrection, and he's talking with his disciple Peter and, and he asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Some of you are familiar with this story. And, and Peter says, surely, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my lambs. There's this exchange three times between Jesus and Peter. Jesus asking him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's getting a little bit ticked that Jesus keeps asking him. He's not believing him when he says that surely he loves him. And in verse 18, Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want 
to go. So what Jesus is telling Peter is, Peter, one day you're going to be stretched out like this, like Jesus was. You're going to be stretched out like this, and people are going to take you where you don't want to go. Verse 19 says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to die like this, just like I did. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Then Peter turned and he saw the the disciple from whom Jesus loved following him, that's John, and one who also had leaned back against him during supper. And he said, said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy, John? Like, I'm going to die like this, you're telling me. What about this guy? And Jesus said to him, if, it, if it's my will that he'll remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me, Peter. He might run a different race than you, but you follow me. So embrace your race. God selected you to run your race. Sometimes there's going to be hills. Sometimes there's going to be valleys and challenges, but that is your race. Second thing that we learn in this passage is to ditch the robe. And I told you that was metaphorical. Ditch the robe. Here's uh, chapter 12, verse 1 again. Says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Have you ever noticed the outfits that long distance runners run in? (laughs) Right? The teeny tiny little shorts and the skimpy tops. They wear they wear these things uh, because they don't want their clothing, to cling to them. They, they don't wear baggy sweats and sweatshirts when they run long distances because they don't want to be weighed down by those extra clothes. They don't want anything to unnecessarily weigh them down. Skimpy, skimpy shorts, skimpy tops to run long distances. Did you know that uh, at the time when the book of Hebrews was written, uh, like races were popular? And what they would do, they, they would, the runners would actually run naked. Yeah, I know, gross. <laughs> the runners would run naked. Clothing was too cumbersome for them to run. So they ran naked. Their clothing was too clingy, so they would wear a robe while they walked up to the starting line. And right before the, the gun went or whatever, they would ditch the robe. They would run their race, and somebody would be at the end to, to cover them again. So if life is a race, the way that you'll succeed and last is to cast aside anything that might slow you down. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. So notice that the text says, lay aside every weight, or the NIV says, anything that hinders, and the sin which clings so closely, or that easily entangles. So lay aside weight... And lay aside sin, he says. He doesn't just say lay aside sin. He says there's stuff that weighs us down that isn't necessarily sinful, that keeps us from running the race that the Lord has laid out for us. 
So question, is there anything keeping you from following Jesus? Is there anything weighing you down, holding you back from running the race that he's laid out for you? And you might wonder, well, what kinds of non-sinful things could be considered weights that might hold us down, that might keep us from running the race that he wanted? I think Jesus uh, answers that question, or at least gives us some ideas in in Luke chapter 8, the parable of the soils, or the parable of the sowers, as some, some may know it. Jesus tells this story about a farmer who goes and he scatters seed, and he tells us later that the seed is the word of God. And, and it falls on four different places with four different results. The first, Jesus says, the farmer scattered the seed. Some fell on the path. And the ground was really hard and it got trampled as people walked over it. And birds in the air came and ate it and they took it away. And that seed just never even had a chance to take root or grow. The, ne- the next soil, Jesus says, some of it fell on the rocky soil. It got scattered, fell on rocky soil. So there was a little bit of, of soil on top of rocks. So it, the roots went down really quick, but then when the heat came, the roots weren't deep enough for it to last. So it just burned out and died. Just burned out and died. It didn't last. Then he says some of the seed fell in thorny or, or weed-filled soil. And, and it sprung up really quick. And after a little bit of time, the, the weeds took over and the weeds ended up choking out the, the good plant, and it withered, and, and it died. And then he said, some of it fell in good soil, where it grew, and it yielded a hundredfold. So there's, there's four different kinds of soil, and the third one that fell on the weeds or the thorns that started the race but didn't finish the race, I think Jesus tells us about it, Luke eight fourteen. He says, as for what fell among the thorns, so this is the seed that fell in the thorny soil. They're those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit doesn't mature. So Jesus says here, the things that, that choked out the good word that was in somebody, that was starting to take root, were cares, riches, and pleasures in their life. Not necessarily all sinful things, right? It's not wrong to pursue, like riches aren't necessarily a bad thing. Pleasure isn't necessarily a bad thing. And caring about things isn't necessarily a bad thing. But Jesus says they can choke people out. They can trip us up. They can weigh us down as we run our race. Isn't it interesting that cares, riches, and pleasures are the pursuit of many of our lives, the primary pursuit? Yet these are the very things that can choke us out. Are you carrying any weight or sin that's keeping you from living the life God has for you today? Is there any weight or sin that you need to be willing to lay aside to run hard? So ditch the robe. Watch out for the things that may be slowing you down or keeping you from running full speed. Lay them aside. So we've got embrace your race, ditch your robe. Now we've got heed the witnesses, heed the witnesses. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 this time, we're going to get an extra verse. It says this, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race 
that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's the picture. It's a stadium, and, it's, and it's, there's runners running without robes. They're all there, and it says there's a cloud of witnesses. The cloud just means many. There's a myriad, there's a throng, there's a multitude of people in the stands who are watching the race. And it's those from chapter 11 and many others through the ages who remained faithful to the end, who ran their race well to the end, no matter what the outcome was, whether they received it in this life or the next life, they ran well. They're the cloud of witnesses. In fact, the word witnesses in in Greek came to be known as the word martyr. So it's the cloud of martyrs, those who gave it all till they reached the very, very end, are at the stadium watching the race. Uh, I, myself, don't run marathons. Anybody here run marathons? No? There's no crazy people like that here? Okay, so my brother-in-law, his name is Tom. He runs marathons. In fact, he runs the like 80-kilometer mountain trail running things, like insane, short shorts, singlet, you name it, all the, all the stuff that long-distance runners run in. So a few weeks ago, when I was starting to think about this text and reading through it, I thought I should ask Tom if he has any, any insight from the running world as to, that, that might help us understand this text. So I, I sent him a text. And I said, hey, Tom, when you're running a marathon, what, what's the hardest part? What's the hardest part about running a marathon? When are you most tempted to quit and give up? And Luke, if you could put the slide up. I took a screenshot of our, of our text interaction. I want, you to see, uh, I want you to see his response. Hey, Tim, fun question. That's great. <laughs> In a marathon... 42.2, can you imagine running that far? That's insane. He's a nut job. Specifically, the hardest part tends to be the last 10 kilometers. That's not surprising. It's when I'm really tired and see myself slowing down and to push hard to keep my pace is really a mind game. And listen to this. The temptation isn't as much to quit as it is to let myself ease up. Basically, give up on my goal or coming as close to it as I can. It's a tug of war with my willpower. Why put out the effort and experience so much pain if I don't think I'll reach my A goal? Does that make sense? So it isn't that he's tempted to quit in the middle of the race, or when he gets near the end when it's really hard, it's that he wants to take his foot off the gas. He wants to ease up, he wants to, eat. He wants to take it easy and just coast. To the end, that's the temptation. So for us today, you might not be tempted to quit on Jesus, but you may have eased up in your pursuit of him, grown complacent, and you're coasting to the finish line. That's a real danger for us, isn't it? We've been in this race a long time. We just want to get to the end. We stop running hard. But we can't because there's witnesses there, the cloud of witnesses, those who've come before us, those who ran faithfully 
to the end, those who gave it their all, even to the point of death. And they're watching us, and they're yelling, keep running. Do as we did. Don't slow down. Give it everything that you've got. It's going to be worth it in the end. It's going to hurt now. You're really, really hurting, but the pain and agony will not last. It's going to be worth it at the finish line. You're almost there. You're almost there. The cloud of witnesses, you see, they're not just spectators. They're witnesses to us. And their example inspires us to go on. Don't, personally, I find it really encouraging when I go to a, a memorial service for a dear saint that stayed faithful to the end. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging when you go to the funeral of somebody and you hear stories of faith to the end, even when it was really, really hard for them at the end, and it, it's inspiring? And they're a part of this cloud of witnesses that are there yelling at us to keep going when things get hard. So heed the witnesses. Hear them. Be faithful like they were. Be faithful like they were right to the end. And fourth, look to Jesus. Because he ultimately is the supreme witness. The supreme witness one, verses 1 to 2 again says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Jesus. As we run our race, we're looking to Jesus. And that word looking to Jesus isn't talking about a casual glance or, or just we look to him once when we started our race, but it's undistractedly keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, not stopping to look at Jesus, who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where he's sitting after he lived faithfully to the end, after he endured the cross, the agony of the cross to make salvation possible and available to humanity. After he did that, was beaten and bruised, he got to take a seat at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That was his reward. That was the joy set before him, allowed him to endure. I want you to think about this. We look to Jesus. That's what it tells us to do. Look to Jesus as we run our race. Don't take our eyes off him. But I want to remind you that he looked to us first. So I'm not just telling you, do, do this, do this. Remember, he looked to us first from his seat beside the Father in heaven. For all eternity, he looked down on us in our helpless estate, and he said, do you know what they need? They need to be rescued from their sin." So I'm going to go and I'm going to do something about that. Even though it cost him his life, he endured. When things were difficult, he didn't give up. He didn't tap out. He didn't say, Father, forget it. I don't think that it's worth all of this pain and agony anymore for them. No, that was the joy set before him. His endurance. So church, look to Jesus. When things get hard, 
When you feel like you're running uphill, maybe today you're feeling extremely discouraged by something that's going on in your life. Look to Jesus. See him hanging there, enduring for you. Don't ever lose sight of him. He's the beginning of our faith. We keep our eyes fixed on him in the middle of our race, and he'll be there at the end of our race. He's our prize. We don't lose sight of him. So I'm thankful that uh, Jesus instituted a meal to help us to keep our eyes on him. If you've got, uh, if you received the communion elements when you came in this morning, could you please uh, grab it? If you slipped in and you never got uh, the communion elements, could you put your hands up? Because we've got somebody that would love to bring you some in your seat so you don't have to miss out. Does everybody have one of these? Who wanted one? Okay. I want to invite you to take off the, the clear plastic on the top first. That'll expose the wafer. And then I'm going to ask you two to take off the, the purple foil as well, just to prepare. Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper or communion to help us to keep our eyes on him and to be strengthened by his example and reminded of his costly sacrifice. And whenever we share communion together as a church, we're reminded of the Lord's death until he comes, until he returns. So if you've got the, the top plastic open and you have the wafer handy, could you please just put it in your hand? This symbolizes Christ's body. And I want, you to, I want to ask you to, to pray with me while you hold it. Jesus, we look to you this morning and we remember how your body was battered and bruised for us. We look to your faithful endurance and we ask that you would help us to endure to the end. Let's eat the bread together. Now, if you'll take the cup. This cup symbolizes Jesus' blood, the shed blood. I want to invite you to pray with me again. Jesus, we look to you this morning, and we remember your shed blood that atoned for our sin. You gave all of yourself, and we say thank you, and we ask that you would help us to live to run our race unhindered by weight and sin with the help of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's drink the cup together. Thank you for your costly sacrifice, Jesus. Thank you that we can look to you We can see your example. We receive the benefits of your endurance. You loved us to the end. Thank you. Amen. So to continue in the faith, embrace your race. Ditch the robes. 
Heed the witnesses and look to Jesus. Let's sing.